This is Victoria of TheUnleashedHeart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by Do Grief Differently, my 12-week in-person or online program that helps grievers who have suffered any type of loss to feel better. In Do Grief Differently, you learn new tools, education, and a method you can utilize the rest of your life. In this program, and with my guidance, you remove the pain of grief. The sadness will always be there because even in complicated relationships, we love but it's the pain of grief that keeps us stuck. Are you ready to do grief differently? Check out my website, www.theunleashedheart.com to learn more. Thank you for tuning in to Grieving Voices. Today, I have a guest episode and Zane Landon has joined me and he is a mental health and disability advocate, a queer rights activist, entrepreneur, and positive change maker. He is the founder of Positive Vibes Magazine, a digital magazine that's dedicated to telling authentic stories about mental health, wellness, and inspiration. The magazine has featured over 80 voices, reached thousands of readers from over 150 countries, and secured 22,000 followers on several social media channels. He attended the first ever Mental Health Youth Action Forum in Washington, D.C., where he met President Biden, Selena Gomez, Dr. Murthy, and Dr. Biden. Out of hundreds of applicants, he was one of 30 young advocates selected from across the country to attend the forum to advocate youth mental health activation, policy, and inclusion. And thank you so much for joining me today and for taking your time to share the work that you're doing, which is obviously having an impact because people are are finding you. It's definitely needed. And for also sharing your story of grief, which is what brought you to the podcast today. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me and also for facilitating a podcast on grief. It's not a topic we talk about enough, but it really does impact almost everyone at some point. It does impact everybody because we all grieve something, right? Even if it's the loss of a dream Mm -hmm. or a pet loss of a friendship, right? Mm-hmm. No one has to die for us to grieve. And so that's really why I wanted to start this podcast too, to help people understand that grief isn't just about death. Mm-hmm. And I imagine in the work that you're doing in activism and in what you have found yourself in the work that you found yourself in, in the position that you found yourself in hasn't been necessarily an easy road because I, what I found in doing this podcast for almost four years now is people find their purpose through their pain. Mm -hmm. And so I know you didn't come to this podcast to talk about what brought you to the work you're doing today, but I often believe, which is often the case, is that, like I just said, 
there's a story there and I would like you to share and we can start there. What led you to doing this work? What's funny is, you know, I've always experienced mental health conditions from a young age. I don't know if I can really think of a time in my life where I didn't have an irregular feeling of intense anger or depression or sadness or whatever it was. So it's always something I'm always thinking about, something I'm always working on. And, you know, I saw like a psychologist growing up. So luckily my family knew about mental health treatment and they moved forward from the mental health stigma that exists, which is, I think sometimes uncommon. I think a lot of people do fear how they're going to be judged or perceived, especially when it comes to mental health, because of how it's been portrayed in so many conversations and so many um, stories told online or the media. And even when you think of mental health, you know, we resort to think about violence because of how horribly mental health has been portrayed in so many stories, especially when it comes to, you know, I'm just going to be upfront, like serial killers. You know, you think about serial killers and it's always talk about mental health. And I understand that, you know, sometimes unaddressed mental health can lead to that. But if you really look at the statistics, people with mental health conditions are going to be more victimized or more violated than vice versa. So we had to switch, we had to really shift that narrative that, you know, it's not necessarily people with mental health conditions that are, that are engaging in violent behavior. Sometimes it's the opposite. And because we have such a stifled view on what mental health is, people do find a way to justify their violence against them. As we've seen, there was, you know, that story of someone who had a mental health condition that was murdered in the subway. Um, and so it's just the way mental health is perceived. And so I understand that sometimes the mental health stigma is so powerful that it will infiltrate your mind and it will prevent you from seeking help. And I think that's a very sad thing that people have to live in that kind of world. And it still exists for me, but I'm since I'm embedded in the work so much, I can really recognize what mental health stigma is. And I'm just, I'm kind of at this place where I move forward from what people think. And that, you know, if people are really going to look at me negatively for having a mental health condition, that's a good sign that I don't need to be around you. And I'm kind of creating my own community that way. So it's like a good filtering device. So, you know, like I said, saw a psychologist for many years. And then I was doing okay. You know, when I graduated high school, I went on to university and I was doing really well. And then there was a time in my life where nothing fit. Nothing was going well. I didn't know where I was headed. I I felt like I was in such a a plane of uncertainty all the time. So I didn't know where my life was headed. I was like at odds with my family because of this type of relationship I was in. So there was a lot of things happening and there was a lot of first things happening. Like, you know, I was in my first relationship and I did not know how to react. I didn't know how to feel at that moment. And then when you, like you said, if you're talking about grief, I had to grieve that relationship. Luckily, I didn't have to fully grieve it because I still decided to see that person despite what my family said. And that was kind of the first time I was at this weird odd with my family. Um, eventually they, you know, accepted him because, you know, I was still with him for many years after and they accepted him, but, you know, it took a lot of time and grace for that to happen. And in hindsight, you know, I understand where my family was coming from, but it was still very, very hard in that moment. And, you know, there was a point in my life where I engaged in self-harm and I feel like the moment that I made physical contact with my body, like the moment that happened, I felt like that there was a, um, 
like a, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say a death. That's, that's probably not the right word, but I would think that there was like something in me that changed completely that day. Um, and it, it's not necessarily like my life has been doom and gloom all the time, but it's kind of like, there's this, there's this new level of pain I never thought about. And now I do. So I have to like be careful with myself because the moment I cross that threshold, you can't go back because it's always an option now. I never thought about her. I never thought about hurting myself in that way, but the moment I did, it's there now. And so no matter what happens, no matter what I do now in my life, if I ever come to a dark place, it's still in my mind that that's a possibility. So I have to really actively make sure I'm not going to do something like that. Same with suicidal ideations. I was having a lot, almost every other day, maybe almost every week, something like that. So yeah, like you said, turn your pain into purpose. And I don't want people to only focus on the pain and it's good when you turn into purpose, but I think it's also a good reminder of, you know, how far you've come and what you've had to do to get there. And so I decided to take the semester off of university. Um, and then after I knew mental health was a, a huge topic, but then I, I didn't realize the severity of how important it was until I, uh, until I, you know, experienced it myself. I already knew about it. It's not that I didn't know about it, but it was like, I didn't realize how painful it can be to this extent. And I knew pain though. I did. So after that, I was like, I need to, I need to create a community. I need to get involved somehow. So I got involved in just different mental health organizations. And that's all that's, that's really where it started. And that's, and these organizations like Active Minds or NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, they all did give me a sense of community of this is a place I can go to if I'm not finding that support in the real world, because unfortunately it is difficult to find that support. I think we're seeing a lot more for mental health, definitely, but there's still so many pockets in this country and definitely the entire world where mental health is not talked about. And in many cultures, mental health is not even a phrase. It's not even a thing that you can define in certain cultures they don't have a word or terminology for mental health so how in the world do you describe your experience if the terminology doesn't exist you're going to sound like you're erratic or you have no idea what you're talking about and then you're going to be judged very negatively because of that reason and people have their their ways of addressing mental health in different countries i'm not going to comment on them but they are interesting to say the least yeah you know and i see mental health as an everyone issue because we all experience periods of time, even if we don't have a diagnosis of a mental health condition, we all experience periods of time where we don't feel like ourselves, where our minds kind of take control and and are in the driver's seat and and we need to find support or resources to get ourselves out of that. Did you do you mind sharing? Did you receive a diagnosis? And if you did, how did you feel about that? Was that a helpful thing or was that a did you have a lot of conflict with that? I didn't get diagnosed so recently because I wasn't looking for a diagnosis. And I think sometimes you can look for one and you can request if you see a psychiatrist, I really want to be diagnosed. I didn't. And I was just looking for, you know, mental support, community support. I saw like a psychologist on my university campus. I was just interested in how can I start feeling like myself again? How can I start feeling better again? So that was what I was focused on. And then when I got my first job at university, which was the job I'm in now, because I got the job recently last November, um, it had a great benefit plan. And so I was able to see a psychiatrist. And because I was moving away, I moved from California to Washington, D.C. last in January. It was such a new phase in my life where I was actually going to be on my own for once. 
that, you know, I needed mental support. Even if I didn't feel it, feel it in the moment, it's kind of nice to be proactive when you need it. So I do have a psychiatrist and she did diagnose me with a major depressive disorder, which is not a huge surprise, but it didn't feel empowering like I thought it would. Because I kind of always envisioned what it would feel like to be diagnosed with a mental health condition. But when I was recently diagnosed, for one, I kind of had the idea that I already had something like that. So it wasn't a huge surprise. But it's interesting because I feel like when you have the speculation, you speculate what your body is going through. You're speculating what your mind is going through. And it's still speculative, right? And then when I finally got the diagnosis, I thought it was going to be, wow, I can finally see how I acted or my behaviors or my depression, how it's linked to a condition. But then I was just kind of like, it's kind of sad though, because if, it, if I didn't have a diagnosis, it would be like you said, periods of time. Now that there's a diagnosis, like this is something I have to kind of manage my whole life. So it was an interesting way how I felt when I was diagnosed. It wasn't necessarily empowering at first. It doesn't, it does now, because again, now I can actually, understand where I'm coming from. And if I need that support, I can find people who experience that same condition. Um, and I can, again, I can create another community that way um, or enter one. So, but and it can be your fuel. Yeah. It, it can be your fuel to keep doing what you're doing because it, I, I feel like in the process of helping others who are experiencing the same thing you are, that can be healing. It can be because, you know, you, when you hear someone's story of their, of how they struggle, you, of course, can see yourself in that story. Maybe not exactly, you can't visually picture picture perfect that story because uh, everyone is experience is different. But I was actually, you know, I did a television interview in is it uh, February or March, and they had me react to a story of, of a, you know, a kid who was suicidal. And they asked me how I felt about that story. And I was like, all I really could say was, I really can picture myself in their story. And so I can understand where they're coming from. And now that I'm in a better place and I can help someone feel better about themselves um, or refer them to a psychologist, because I am not a mental health expert. I'm an advocate, but I am not a therapist or psychologist. I can't give that kind of support, but I can refer them and I can give them resources and I can check in on them in my own way and give them my support of what I can do myself. And that does, that is, that is a positive fuel because, you know, you are, you are helping someone out of a, out of a, out of a place that you were at and you know how it feels. Yeah. You don't need to be leaps and bounds of head of, head of somebody else. You can be two steps ahead to -hmm. help them. You know, I also saw, I was kind of creeping on your social media a little bit and I saw that you had had this experience of, of weight and you've lost Mm. a lot of weight. Yeah. In, um, I think it was as of July, you had lost 75 pounds is what you had written. Yeah. So I want to congratulate you. And a part of me wonders, like, because it correlates with your story, right? Like as soon as you sought out the support that you needed, Mm -hmm. you moved, right? You started this new chapter. You thought, I think you were really empowered because I don't think you would have lost this weight. Had you not felt empowered, had you not felt like you can be of service to other people and that you wanted to be the best version of yourself while in service of other people. I think there's a really deep connection there. There's a stronger why to the 75 pounds. There is. And I will be honest, there was a time in my life where I focused solely on my mental health. 
Which we shouldn't do. Because again, the trend and what we say is mental health is as important as physical health. But then you can't negate your physical health either then, which is what I was doing. Um, And so, yeah, there was a time where I just had a hard time walking. As a 24-year-old, I shouldn't have a hard time walking. You know, unless I have a condition. Like, as long as a condition, they can't walk well. I understand that that's just a totally different story. I don't have that. Um, and because I don't have that, I should not. I should not be held back because of my weight. And I understand that. And I know people that do activism for, you know, bigger people. And I know what they say. And they say that the world shouldn't be inaccessible or the world shouldn't hold you back because of your weight. I agree with that. Of course. Like there are many spaces that you might feel uncomfortable as a bigger person. So I, I do get that. I don't think anyone should be discriminated against, but internally myself, I held myself back because of my weight. I didn't want people to see me and I would get tired real easily. And so I held myself back from certain opportunities because of that. And then I think it was, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I just know that a friend of mine was on like this, this like diet weight loss plan. It was working. And she struggled a long time with it as well. It's like, it's working for you and your whole family. You're like, what is this plan? I need to learn more about it. And I ended up starting it. And yeah, I just slowly, not really slowly. I did lose weight pretty fast um, from February to July, losing 75 pounds. I've definitely gained weight and I'm, I'm not on the plan as much, but I'm going to be back on it and I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to take the initiative again and address it. But I'm at a good place right now, but I still have you know, some weight to lose so I can be at an ideal weight for like the health goal that I have. But it was, it was very difficult. And it was just interesting to see myself that way because I have seen myself as a big person my whole life. I was like, now that I'm slimming down, now that my face isn't as like, my face is like thinner now. And it wasn't before. Um, I just, I see myself differently now. I have, I have more confidence and it's kind of sad though, that like you have to lose weight to kind of feel that way. But I think that that's just kind of how the world works right now, um, especially when it comes to weight and weight loss. But also I surrounded myself with more people. The more confident I got, the more I surrounded myself with people that were in this space. And like you said, they gave me that support where I was like, I should feel better about my body, even if it's not what I want it to be, it's fine. And so, you know, there's a, there's a difference between being happy with your body and having certain health goals. Um, I think everyone should be happy with their body. And if not, I hope they have the agency to do it the right way. Because I know many people that have done it the wrong way. And the wrong way is engaging in harmful things for their body if it's steroids or diet pills um, or whatever it is. I know every situation is different for everybody, but there are some things out there that I wish people wouldn't do because you might lose the weight, but the after effect of the next couple of years or your whole life, you might damage your liver. You might damage your internal organs. You might do these extraneous things because you wanted to lose the weight. And so I hope people don't do it that way, which is why those like fad diets are kind of ex- extreme and scary, which is why I was happy. The plan I went on wasn't that at all. And I think you bring up a key point too, in that it's who you surrounded yourself with. And there's a quote, or I heard some time ago, you know, you're, you're a sum of the five people that you surround yourself with. So mm-hmm. if you're surrounding yourself with people who love to just sit around and veg and not move their body and and are kind of negative and see the negative and everything. I mean, that's that's low vibe. That's going to bring you down. But yeah. if you surround yourself with people who are elevating you, 
who are at where you want to be. That's an inspiration. That's an encouragement. That that's the motivation that a lot of us need, right? To to get up and do it again, right? Because it's easy to start, but to cross the finish line. I mean, yeah. and there is no finish line in health, right? And the thing is too is do you want to feel good or do you want to feel like crap? Mm-hmm. And and that's I, I've been on my own journey. And you know, I was just tired of feeling like crap. I do want to touch back on because you mentioned that you had the weight issue since childhood. And I know this is not what you came on the podcast to talk about, but I feel <laughs> like this <laughs> I, I'm seeing a lot of ads like on Zempic and you know, so like I'm just mm-hmm. going with the what's in the news right now. And you mentioned that you had this issue since childhood. And I'm curious, yeah. do you feel like I mean, did you have a difficult childhood or you know, did you feel like food was how you coped and how you do continue to cope sometimes? Oh, definitely. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say I had a hard childhood. I, I There were hard aspects of it with the weight, being queer, having different um, theme, like multiracial, all these different things. And I saw how my parents struggled with money at times, but I still was pretty blessed that I had the love and support from my family. And sometimes it wasn't, you know, how I wanted it to be like everyone. Like one of my favorite movies, I'm just gonna bring this up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of my favorite movies is Coraline. I think it's a great story. But when you actually watch the movie, her family isn't that bad though. Like I think that her family is just stressed. They have they're like burnt out. They're trying to they're trying to, you know, put food on the table by doing the work. And so she's not getting the love that she wants. Would she say that's a bad childhood? I don't think so. I just think that she's just not getting the love that she necessarily needs and wants which is bad, you know, but I wouldn't say that's necessarily what makes you like, it's not, I think a lot of people experience that because it's hard to like kind of replicate exactly how you want to be loved by your family. I think it's kind of difficult because everybody has such different needs and I don't think every need is going to be met. So for me, I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't say I had a hard childhood, but there were hard aspects to it. But yeah, I think that, you know, just (laughs) my family, you know, has just, a lot of members of my family on both sides struggle with weight, which isn't surprising because a lot of people do. I feel like sometimes when I'm in the health spaces and I see a lot of people working out and it feels like, yeah, the majority of people work out. And it's like, looking at it, I don't think so. I think a lot of people do struggle with it, especially with, you know, how much fast food restaurants there are and how much people have to rely on it because sometimes expensive or sometimes, you know, health choices or healthy foods are more expensive. And so if someone is struggling to make an income to support their family, how are they going to spend money on, you know, um, healthy food? And I know that there are other resources to get, you know, healthy food, if it's like a stipend or if it's community garden, whatever it is. Um, So I always encourage people to like seek out other resources if that isn't the case. But again, I understand that some people, they have to do that to support their family. I just wish there were more, there were more like, equitable ways to make sure that people are getting healthy food um, or just to have more options and what that looks like for their family. And so, yeah, my, my family struggled with that, but I don't think it was necessarily some of the stuff that we just ate. Like my mom always cooked and always had such a balanced meal, but it was always, you know, a lot of the snacks and always the secondary foods that were around. So a lot of, a lot of that is what, you know, people struggle with. Um, And for me, I think it was, yeah, I think I do. I think even recently when I was eating, when I was upset, I still am an emotional eater. 
And I thought, you know, even after a year, have I changed that much? No, because I always think that I'm going to be a, an emotional leader. And so again, it's like keeping yourself in check that when I'm upset or if I'm depressed to kind of try to not fall into that temptation of just overeat because that's a big deal. And I don't think a lot of people talk about it and it's not something we mention a lot, but to me, it is an illness because when you look at Alcoholics Anonymous, when you look at that group and we can recognize that drinking alcohol or consuming too much alcohol is a disease or it's a problem that, you know, arises and there's addiction with that. It's different with food because it's easy to think that we don't need alcohol at all. But when it comes to food, we need food. So if someone overeats, you can just use the excuse and see it as, but we need to eat. So it's okay if I'm eating this way, but it's not though. And overeating is a, is a huge issue. Yeah. And that's what I would say. And I wouldn't say, yeah, sometimes I am an overeater and sometimes I'm not. I mean, no, it's something I always am, but you know, I don't always engage in overeating. So I've learned a lot about like balancing my meals and how to have like better portions, which I think is a huge thing that people don't that struggle with as well, like having, you know, enough portions where you're satisfied rather than I need to be over the top. And then in the way you're engaging in overeating and it can be addicting, very addicting. Do you think it's a greater struggle in the work that you do that you have seen it yourself for yourself and in other people that with in the mental health space um, and the advocacy work, do you see the connection of a lot of these other issues that kind of play into people's lives, like addiction with food or issues with food? What I'm getting at is, you know, we have a relationship with ourselves, right? We have a relationship with ourselves and our inner child and we have relationships with other people and we have relationships with alcohol. We have relationships with food, with money, with all these other aspects of our lives. And so do you feel like, you know, especially when it comes to mental health that, and why it's so important is because it affects everything in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, have you found that to be true for yourself and for other people that you come in contact with in the work that you do? I do. Um, and that's why, you know, in, you know, like the mental health space, like there is a lot of research and discussions on um, eating disorders. So I, I don't know. It's top of my head. I do not know if overeating is considered an eating disorder, but it doesn't matter. It is some form of engaging in harmful eating. That's not good for your body. Um, so that, yeah, I do think that, and that, that sounds from so many things. If it's like, you know, if it's escaping, you know, your emotions and using food as a, a vehicle, or if it's not eating and it's, that's a way to feel control or a way to feel like you have some control in your life is to control your eating or don't control your eating or decide not to eat again, not an expert. This is just what I've observed and what I've seen. And so I've never been diagnosed with an eating disorder or I don't have one, but it also stems from body image issues. Um, sometimes my partner comments and says the way I act and the way I perceive my body is like, is like I have body dysmorphia. I don't think I do because it's not, I read a bit about it and like, it really needs to impact your day-to-day. -day. It doesn't impact my day-to-day -day as much. It only really impacts my day-to-day -day when I see myself and I really don't like what I'm seeing. But I think the biggest issue is I need to also see the physical evidence that I've changed because sometimes I'll look mm -hmm. at myself in the mirror and I'll be like, 
I am the exact same. I haven't changed. What's up with that? Like, I'm really frustrated right now because I'm not seeing a big change. And I go and see my photo. I'm like, okay, there's a difference. All right. I see it. But it's sad how like, oh my goodness, like how wired our brains are that we, it's like we cannot accept progress when it happens. And to the point where we physically don't even see a change. I think a lot of people do that, especially not even with their weight or their body, but like just even their accomplishments, like they'll, they'll accomplish something so amazing and they'll just downplay it. And I, I don't know why it, it, it makes me, makes me kind of sad. And I do that too. Like we all do it. I think many people do it. I don't know many people that don't, they downplay their accomplishments. And I think because in this culture, I think that we try to award, reward humbling behavior. That's not humbling though. I don't think that's humbling at all. I actually think that's not what humble is. I think humble is, I did do a great job and I'm really proud of it. Thank you for saying that. You don't have to say that whole thing, Mm -hmm. but you can just say, well, thank you so much for acknowledging that. I think being humble is recognizing that you have these important strengths and that you do bring something to the table. Being humble is not, oh, I didn't really do that great of a job. It's not that great. I could do better next time. No, that's not being humble at all. You're downplaying your accomplishments. And in fact, you're just kind of... um, disempowering yourself and that's not being humble at all i don't think so i think a lot of us i in general i think we're hard we're wired to point out the negative and to see the negative right but i think there is actually a population of people i mean if you're interested in human design i've been kind of looking into human design if you haven't i believe it's an open g center which most people i think the majority of people have an open g center or a will center it's actually where we feel self self Mm self-worth i think a lot of us have that open center. And when you, when that is undefined and it's open, we do have an issue with self-worth. I have it defined. And so to recognize, I, I, like you said, I think it's recognizing what we bring to the table, what we have to offer and owning it, owning that as a gift that has been given to us and recognizing that you are different, but you have different gifts. You have a different skill set, and together we can move mountains. And I think that's where we have to recognize that all of us have a different gift to offer and it doesn't make one better than the other. It's just different. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I I watched like a a really great um, anime recently that the whole premise was about all life is created equal. (laughs) It, it, It definitely delved into like medical dilemmas, which was so interesting, but I love the idea that, you know, all lives are created equal. And that sounds a little self-explanatory, right? But I don't think people completely realize that. Mm-hmm. I think some people are going to hold people to a higher standard or there's a, we still organize ourselves in hierarchies and that some people's voices are more important. I just, I don't agree. I don't think anyone's better or worse. I think everyone, like you said, provides something different and unique to the table. It's just about recognizing that, but also on the other side, making sure that you are encouraging that, making sure that you are encouraging them, that they are here for a reason and that their voice is important. I, I think it's, I think a lot of, I think a lot of parties are, are like involved here. I don't think it's, you need to realize that on your own. I think we also need people in our lives that are going to encourage it. Kind of goes back into the, you know, surround yourself with good people that are going to uplift you and you also uplift them. And especially when you are a child, right? I mean, because that's when a lot of these insecurities and mental health Mm -hmm. issues kind of take hold. You know, 
in the grief space, the grief work that I do and what I've learned about grief is that by the age of three, by the age of three, you've already learned 75% of how to respond to life. Hmm. The rest comes by the age of 15, those formative, difficult, challenging years. But by age three, I mean, little children are literal sponges. They see and they take in and they hear everything. So let's shift gears and talk about really what brought you to the podcast. And I love the advocacy work that you're doing. And I, that's why I've spent so much time on it because I think it's important. And I think the, the more that you invest in yourself, the more confident that you become, Mm -hmm. you can move mountains. You can, you know, one person can make a change. And even like you said, even if it's just one, one child that you check in on or one friend that you check in on, we never recognize, even maybe it's insignificant to us, but it can mean it can be life-changing to somebody else. We don't celebrate those things either. And often we don't even know because people don't share that either. Right. And I wish we did. I wish we more openly had gratitude. I'm not saying people don't have internal gratitude, mm-hmm. but I wish we externally like vocalize our gratitude for the people in our life um, more. And, you know, I say we, but you know what? I, I could do that better too. Like definitely. Um, I think we, I really do think we all can. I think it's something I wish we would practice more. And that's why when you enter a lot of spaces of self-empowerment, gratitude is such an empowering tool or not a tool, but just, yeah, I kind of is, but just, the practice of showing gratitude is what I mean. And so, yeah. And I agree with that. It's interesting. It's, I think sometimes you have a hard time showing affection to people um, from what they've done or what they've accomplished. And I don't know why. I think that's something that hopefully is changing, especially when COVID happened. And I felt like people were more aware of people's circumstances and were like, when we're compassionate of their life outside of work and all these different things and so i wouldn't say that that means like the world's becoming more compassionate i just think it's becoming hopefully more open than it has before there is hope for that right i have a frame picture it's a by rumi and it says if you only say one prayer in a day make it thank you Mm -hmm. so when we think about gratitude Let's talk about your mother, because it sounds like to me just what you mentioned so far, that she was a very integral part of your life and was obviously a very devastating loss for you. And in 2021, during COVID, nonetheless, right? Because that would have been during COVID? It was, yeah. I, I believe the vaccine hadn't even been rolled out at that point either. What happened was my mom always had, you know, problems with hernias and yeah that was it she had a problem with another hernia that came again it felt like no matter all the surgeries she did she always had one or had one forming or however it works so she was having pains again with it and they decided to take her to urgent care um and so they took her to urgent care and then, you know, they, they did the surgery, but unfortunately she just didn't wake up. Mm-hmm. So that, that was it. it. Yeah, it was 
pretty devastating. And I remember, I remember even telling my mom, just like, don't even worry about whatever's coming up. Just try to focus on your health and the pain right now and just how to make yourself feel better. Cause she was worried about a lot of different things, of course, because that's kind of how my mom was. So it's kind of sad to think of it that way. And, you know, in retrospect, me saying that because now she has nothing to worry about. So it is kind of, well, depending on what people think, I, I, I do think that there is an afterlife. And I do think that, you know, you still worry when you're out there because I do firmly believe that we grieve them. They grieve us. So if there is an afterlife, my mom is grieving us because she lost us and she has to wait a long time to see us again. Even though, again, it's so complicated because, you know, I do believe that we're always there, but being face to face and actually our spirits touching and in a, a way we're on the same plane now because we're in different planes now. And so it is a different relationship. So yeah, it was definitely very hard. And I'm very, I have a lot of gratitude that, you know, my mom was always there for me. And I do love the prayer of saying thank you because just thanking my mom for every single thing she did. And that's why it was probably, it probably will be the hardest death I'm ever going to experience. But who knows? Because in my opinion, when you experience death, you think about all the ones, all the people who have died. Like recently, my grandpa died on my dad's side. My grandma died on my mom's side. And yeah, it just makes you think like, oh, my mom's not here either. And I have to think about all the deaths that I've experienced. And again, I'm also thankful I haven't had to experience that many deaths. But one of the first ones of someone I was close with had to be the person I was closest with. It's kind of difficult. And I think that you can prepare as much as you can. Like I think people like uh, like preparing for grief. I don't think you really can. Like, I think some people go, like, how, you know, how do I prepare myself for it? What does it feel like? I can't explain how it feels. I really can't. I, I can't at all. It just feels like a sharp pain in your chest that's immovable and you can't do anything about it. And it's there forever. And sometimes it's sharper. Sometimes it's not. And it's going to depend on whatever triggers it. If it's a smell that reminds you of them or if it's a song you've heard, whatever it is, it's going to trigger that sharp pain. And it is difficult. And it is Again, it's always there and you won't really understand until you reach that point. And again, there's also no return because again, the moment I think you lose someone that's close to you, I mean, you, you inevitably change and that's okay. I think that's fine because some people say since, since so-and-so passed away, I'm not even the same person anymore. That's okay. Because how could you be like, because of what I think is interesting about grief and why we grieve people is They've had such a monumental like of impact on our lives and our identity that our identity surrounds ourselves with that person. And so without them, how do we even understand our identity? And, you, and I think it's coming to terms with, no, your identity is just different now. And it is, you are a different person. Doesn't mean you're radically different. No, you might be though. You never know. You know, the only thing is, is like, accept that, you are a new person now and your perspective is very different probably. And it's, it is a very difficult thing. Again, you have to come to terms with the person isn't there anymore and you have to kind of figure out what that means for you. Maybe you don't think that maybe they are there for you still, but for some people it feels like they're just gone. And I know some people can connect with them still. Like some people have that kind of gift 
I've had, I've had different instances where I've had like pretty profound dreams about my mom. Some were great, but there's one that was so, so like lifelike. It felt so real that there's, there's no way that that was just a dream at all. I actually did a podcast where I talked about the dream and what it meant. And the dream was me just like comforting my mom. Like I went into this space where it was a dark room and she's hunched over, but she's kind of lit up like a light and I comfort her. And then I kind of just slowly wake up like a final goodbye that I never got to have. Mm-hmm. And it felt so strange. Like I woke up so peacefully than I ever had before. And I was like, there's no, 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 That That was some sort of, um, that was some sort of communication there. There was no way that that was just a dream. Well, maybe that's what all dreams are. This is so open-ended, this stuff. And so that's why I find this so interesting. But the grief alone is is very difficult. But as you can see, I've had a lot of things that have affirmed how I feel about my mom and how how I do believe that there is more out there. That's for me, though, because I know not everybody believes that. And to me, that that would make grief a lot harder, though if there wasn't anything else out there and I really wouldn't have a chance to see them again, but I also don't know. I'm not going to know until I, I cross that path. Like we all will. And I find it interesting. Like death is the only thing that I think we're guaranteed in life. Yeah. And then it's interesting. I know. I mean, yeah, there, I don't know if we're really guaranteed anything in this life. Like, so are we guaranteed love? Are we guaranteed support? We're not at all. I think the only thing that we're guaranteed is when we die. And so I think it's something we all have to come to terms with because we're all going to face it. You said a very key thing there. You said there's no guarantee of love. There's no guarantee of, you know, you're saying there's no guarantees of all these things. And I, my thought that came to my mind was, especially if we're not open to it, mm. you know, if we're not open to having this continued relationship with a loved one who has passed, we are not going to have a continued relationship with the loved one who has passed. Mm-hmm. But to understand that that's possible, regardless of what you believe or think spiritually, God, whatever, afterlife, yeah. that relationship does continue because you are still going to be thinking things. You're still going to be feeling things about that person. That relationship continues. And it's up to each of us to decide what we want that relationship to be. How we want that to look. Do we want to be pulled back in time to this devastating moment when that person passed away or this traumatic thing that we saw or replay this, the negative, right? We replay the negative in our minds over and over, over, or we can choose to work through and process all the things that we didn't get to communicate, all the things that we didn't get to say, all the things that we didn't get to experience and change that change the narrative, change the story that replays in your mind. So instead of feeling sadness and, and, and you're going to feel sadness, but instead of being pulled back in time to that yeah. deep depression state or this deep hole, every time you smell something that reminds you of your mom, or every time that you, someone says something or mentions her name or says her name, that you're pulled back to that space instead of, yeah. oh, thank you, mom, for this message. Mm-hmm. I know you're there. You know, I needed that comfort. And perhaps yeah. that dream. And I've heard that. I mean, the idea is that, you know, I've had psychic mediums and things on my podcast before, but I've heard that when someone comes to you in a dream, it is for you. Mm-hmm. It is for you. And 
And sometimes too, I've heard that that's an indicator that you need to pray for them. I don't know. It's your dream. It's, you know, all of us and our our relationships are individual, right? So all of us are going to have these unique experiences based on our relationships. I mean, even less than loving relationships, you can have experiences that are so profound that you can't explain and put into words. Something else I'm trying to put into words is my experience with our new sponsor, Magic Mind. Magic Mind is a patented blend of 13 active ingredients containing things like matcha, which supports energy, bacoba manieri, which I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but that supports attention, cognitive processing, and working memory, which, hello, I personally need, lion's mane mushroom, which helps to balance mood and improve cognition, turmeric, which supports healthy blood flow to the body and brain, phosphodiglycerin, which supports memory and attention span. Again, another word I probably botched. Ashwagandha (laughs) supports the reduction of stress and rhodiola rosea and vitamin B complex, which manages fatigue, supports energy and boosts endurance. So I've been taking this little two ounce shot for the past month or so, and it's only three grams of sugar, 21 calories. But this little awesome shot is really helped me bring some calm into my life so I can be productive. And that's the biggest thing that I've noticed is this calm that comes over me when I feel like I'm getting a little bit overwhelmed. And as a creative, right, we have a lot of to-do lists and a lot of things that we're trying to create and put out into the world and as a podcaster and and especially to add in grief and add in just the curveballs of life, right? Like we can use all the help we can get to feel like we're on top of things in our life because when we have so many balls in the air that only adds to our stress it only adds to our anxiety and so to have this little two ounce shot to support whatever it is we're trying to create and do and to just be just to be a better version of ourselves be a little bit more well in our mindset head to magicmind.com slash grieving voices they have an option for a subscription or you can just order one time to try it out Either way, you get a discount of 20% with the coupon code GRIEVINGVOICES, all caps. And when you get a subscription, you actually save more as well. So again, magicmind.com slash grievingvoices. Now let's go back to the conversation with Zane. And what I also do love about this idea that we are, that death is guaranteed, because again, I think we have a hard time understanding that we are all equal. I think some people, again, look at social identities, different circumstances, and that's what makes us different. Of course, it makes us different, but in reality, we're not different. We're all the same species. And then when we die, it's what equalizes us. We all got the, we all got the dash on the tombstone, right? Right. And I find that interesting because I I saw a video of this man who died for 20 minutes saying he recalled his entire experience. It's a very popular YouTube video. It's a very beautiful experience. And it's just like, Interesting that we all do reach that path one day and we're all equal in that, in that front. Um, and it is, there is something beautiful about that, that we go back to a place where we're a spirit or whatever it is, or we're back here on this planet living another life. I don't know. Um, or I watched a video on how we are just one being and we're just recycled into many people, but we're all just one energy, which is <laughs> so many theories, so many interesting thought processes on, in that one. But 
yeah, I always find this stuff super interesting. And I, I like the idea of people talking more openly about grief because then that's what gives us support and the tools to understand our relationship with them. So like you said, we don't travel back in time and we're obliterated, honestly, with the sadness. Yeah, and there's always that quote. I know people don't like it, but I do. It's the quote that don't be sad it ended, something like that. Don't be sad it ended, be grateful it happened. I understand that not everybody wants to hear that, especially like, also please be mindful of what you say when someone does lose someone. It's And to me, it's not your place to ever say anything about that person, like, like how you should feel. Because like when some people go, oh, they're in a better place. Okay, you have to understand that when someone is in a very vulnerable space where they just lost someone, they really don't want to hear that. You know, unless they, they should say, be, they should be here with you, right? Yeah. Yes. And so, no, that's absolutely right. But so I think people have to understand that, you know, sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, when someone is going through a grief process, just, just show up for them. You don't have to give them advice. You don't have to fix their problems because you cannot. You cannot do that ever. And there's no point in trying to set up yourself for failure because you will fail. There's no way you can ever do that. Because uh, I know some people try to do that. Like, let's get you in a better mood. It's not going to happen. You can do things to maybe support them. But sometimes in that moment, just be there for them. You don't have to try to make them happy. You don't have to try to distract them from their grief. It's impossible. They're going to always be thinking about it. But if you can show your support and your positivity and, you know, the kindness, I hope that that will help them. And that get that probably is a lot more than you think it is. And then they get to a place where, you know, if they ever need your support, they can reach out to you. So that's what I would say. But what's interesting is I find it easier to have conversations with people that have lost their parents. I saw someone post recently that they had a hard time going back to the gym since their their father passed away. And I, I didn't even realize that. I didn't even realize that their father passed away. And so I even reached out and I said, you know, losing parents is so damn hard. And I hope you find some peace right now. I hope going to the going back to the gym like you're doing is going to give you some peace because that is a hard thing you you have to deal with. And you only experienced it two months ago. Um, and I've had almost three years to kind of understand it. And even still, I don't really fully understand it because it's, it's like a lifelong thing you have to figure out. And that's why I also you don't believe that like when people say grief gets easier with time, uh, I, I wouldn't say it gets easier. <laughs> I would just say you're used to the pain at this point. Is it easier? No, because the pain is always a sharp pain. It's like you have a thicker coating now, but it's still there. And it's always going to, it's always going to, penetrate your body it's always going to make you feel bad or you have this pain but yeah it's it's again something that just doesn't go away i see it as almost have not exactly but like having a mental health condition it's like that not the same um but that you know it's something that's lifelong there is actually like a, a condition called like prolonged grief which is an interesting one it's kind of like saying that, you know, you've had this long period of grief and you should be at a point where you're getting over it. I don't think I fully agree that that's a condition, um, but I do like, I don't know. It's interesting. I know I'm going to like an interesting thing here, but I do like the idea that there is something there with grief because I don't think that there's enough support for it, especially in the workplace. Like if someone passed away and like, okay, you get three days off to figure out everything. It's like that. 
what? Like, no, that's why I actually understand like medicalizing grief is interesting because maybe we can convince employers. No, I need like time off. I need to take a leave of absence because this is really difficult and it's, it's impacted my body and my health, every single thing. And so I also wish grief was taken more seriously in that way. So when you do experience grief that, you know, in the workplace, they understand and they don't come with the attitude that, you know, it's been a week, you can come back to work and you'll be fully efficient, right? No, that's not how it works. And someone might need three months. And so that's the only reason why I could ever see why you would medicalize grief only in that way. I would never want it to be, you know, a negative thing. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing with grief, like prolonged grief or complicated grief or complex grief. It's, it's all grief. Grief is just grief. Mm-hmm. We don't need to add any labels to it. Right. I, you know, it's almost like a mental health diagnosis. Like what did that do for you at the end of the day? Right. You know what you're experiencing. You know what it feels like. Can, the label can be empowering, mm-hmm. but when it comes to grief, that's not empowering. No label for grief is empowering. There isn't a single one that's empowering. And the thing is, is we've all learned these myths of grief and time heals all wounds is one of them. And a time doesn't heal. It's the action that you take in time is yeah. what heals. You got to, you know, like one of my, one of my guests, um, a long time ago, and she, she's gone through the grief recovery method, which is the program that I facilitate mm-hmm. that I worked through my own grief with. Cause I lost my, my dad when I was eight. Mm-hmm. And she says, when you lay, you decay. And that's the truth. When you lay, you decay. And when you are in deep in grief, that's all you really want to do. And that's, that's okay for a time. But if you find yourself laying and laying and laying, not living life to its fullest, not living out your fullest potential, that's not living. You know, and I know so many people like, you know, even when my dad died, a part of my mom died with him. She was a very, she was a very different mom. I imagine your dad is a very different dad. Mm -hmm. Maybe for the better and maybe not so much. You know, it depends on how a person chooses to respond to that. Do you choose to get support and resources and help and talk about it? Or do you do what society has taught us to do and to grieve alone? Replace the loss, try replace it with food, alcohol, sex, gambling, whatever it is, whatever vice it is, right? Mm-hmm. This is why I started this podcast. People just don't understand grief. Even therapists, psychologists, it's not even in their schooling, not even in their education. Oh, really? I've been to suicide prevention forums, rooms of social workers talking about suicide prevention for military and veterans. Not a once did the word grief come up. Mm. Not once. Don't you think grief has a little something to do with suicidal ideation? With the experiences that military personnel have experienced on deployments? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's a no-brainer, right? It is. Yeah. Wow. And considering the life that we, you know, the lives that many of us live, you know, there's so many chronic issues, mm-hmm. whether it's the economy, whether it's you know, your personal circumstances, whether it's sit and watch the news, like, oh my gosh. And then children are watching these killing games. That's all the games are nowadays is just killing each other. Right. Like all of this is information that we all take in. Mm -hmm. 
we're looking at toxins and we're taking in toxins in all kinds of ways, day in and day out. So no wonder we're all freaking depressed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I think people question, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think it's sad when I hear this because, you know, at least I see that at least my generation, Generation Z, they're talking more about mental health. And I know sometimes they're viewed negatively for it or they're the emotional generation. Mm-hmm. And I hear people say, well, my generation, you know, we just we just do what we had to do. Is that really a positive message, though? Did you really want to do that, though? That's what I question people. It's like, I understand that that's what you had to do because your generation, you really did not talk about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But do you really think that helped you? Like, if you really could live in a generation where you could be more open with what you experienced, wouldn't you want to live in that generation? And if not, well, okay, then. But I hope a lot of them say, yeah, actually, I would like to live in a generation where I could be open with my emotions. I could be more emotionally available for my partner or my friends or whoever is in my life that I love. And I could show up differently if you feel like you could. I mean, again, if you maybe you showed up in the best way you you could. You never know with certain people. Maybe they did. But, you know, I like this idea that as a culture, we're becoming more open about grief. And I see a lot of grief podcasts. I'm like, I'm so happy that not only I can share my story, but all these other people and all their guests get to do it as well. And someone is facilitating that conversation because I think this is why grief is so hard, not just grief alone. That's already hard. I mean, that's, that's never going to change no matter what. But I think the, if we live in a culture where we have to bottle it up and we can't express it, that makes it even harder, so much harder because where do I go? Nobody understands, Um, but maybe they do but maybe they're not open about their grief. Maybe if more people are open, you'd be like, wow, actually you understand grief. You do too. I didn't even realize like, let's, let's have a community. Let's actually host a grief chat. Sounds weird. I know, but something that we can continue in the conversation and just provide like a peer to peer support on when you have this trigger. Again, we, we can't provide expert opinions because we're not experts. Um, like, again, I'm not an expert unless you are, unless you're a grief counselor, you have that training. That's not what I'm saying. Like just peer to peer people that just, just experience it on the, you know, the everyday level. Well, and it comes back to, I mean, and how you can support and help other people as a griever, you can speak from your own experience. Sure. But it's learning about grief itself. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, I highly recommend the book, the grief recovery handbook, because you will learn more about grief than you've ever, ever learned in your life. Even with experiencing it, it, it just brings a better level of understanding of why you feel the way you feel what you're experiencing. So I highly recommend that book or the first 12 episodes of my podcast um, is all about what we talk about in grief recovery. Because I fully, I will say this, recovery is possible. I'm a testament to it. It was, it derailed most of my life, my grief. My life changed when I decided I wanted to change it. And we all have that power and we all have that agency within ourselves. And, you know, just meet ourselves where we're at with compassion. But I think we all have a personal responsibility because we are all part of a collective, right? And so if I can become the best version of myself, I can show up better for my neighbor, for my friends, for the cashier. I don't have to be an asshole to the cashier, right? Because of whatever I'm experiencing, there's no excuse for treating others unkind. Yeah, no, I agree. And <laughs> I really wish I did not see that normalized. And it kind of is where if someone is treating someone horribly, it's like, you have to like question, well, they're probably going through a hard time. It's like, I'm at this place where I remember saying that, 
where I was like, I have empathy. I understand where they're coming from. And it's like, no, that's ridiculous, actually. I should not know where you're coming from because you should have no right to treat someone like that. I don't care what you're going through. That sounds kind of heartless, I know. But but why? Why should you have the right to treat me like that? I didn't do anything to you. That's your life. That's the people in your life. That's up to you. I had nothing to do with it. But I understand, like, you know, like, sometimes people just lash out. Sometimes people have those moments. I get it. But if you're perpetually being like that and you're using the excuse of what happened in your life, it's not fair because I don't know anyone in this world that has not experienced any sort of struggle. I've never, I don't know anyone that hasn't experienced anything, you know, that's not possible. Even someone that's the most privileged, the most rich in the world, whatever their privileges are, they have something that has held them back. They have something that has, that they have a fear. Everyone has that. And so I don't ever agree with, you know, you treat people horribly because of how you've been treated because you are no different from the person that wronged you as well then. That's how I think. I think that, again, if you've been treated a certain way and you treat another person that way, you're just creating a cycle of negativity and darkness and you are no better. And that I think is sad because to turn from being a victim to a perpetrator is a sad reality. And it happens, you know, especially when people are abused, like sometimes they become abusers and I don't know why. I, again, I don't know a lot about it, but I, I've heard stories of that that happens to people um, or they're victims and they put they're in positions where they're victimized again. And it's just such a sad reality, but I was a little ranty, <laughs> but just no. kind of going into what you were saying that, you know, I, I agree that there's, there really is no excuse to treat someone like that because again, all of us have our issues. All of us have our challenges, but if we show up in such a positive light for someone else i think that we can inspire others to be kinder to be better and again what are you accomplishing by treating someone like that you're not doing and, anything besides bringing them down with you and that's what some people want though and that's sad and the key thing you said was it is it's it's up to us right like it's it's up to each of us like we yeah. all play a role we have, yeah, I think some people don't realize that we have our triggers, like things will naturally trigger us I'm like, well, that's my trigger. Okay, but it's not natural how you react. No, I think that again, naturally, you'll have a trigger, something will trigger you. But there's no, there's no way of saying this is how I'm going to naturally react, though. It's innate. No, it's not. <laughs> I think the, the trigger is something that happens. But again, if you, if you choose how to react, you choose how to treat people. That's exactly what you do. There's nothing that is involuntary, like you're saying it is. Because I know people that will say, if I react negatively, it's because of this and I have my right to act like that. Sure. Everyone has a right to express how they want. I don't think you have a right to hurt other people though. That's not fair. And that comes down to, again, like with with grief, right? Because, I mean, you can become a, you can become a griever who's an asshole. <laughs> it's possible, That's right? True. But if you work on yourself, that's the only thing you have control of is yourself. Like the environment and then the world around you is not going to bend to your will. The only thing you have control of is your free will and what you decide to do and the actions that you take or don't take, which is a choice too. I see. I see that a lot now. And I thought we were almost past this where we we shape our own life. We choose how we want to be. And we you know, we kind of disassociate from what people say about us. We move away from how people judge us and perceive us. But I, I still see that though. I still see people that, and I do sometimes, but I, I know people 
And I see even content creators that they thrive on that validation almost mm-hmm. constantly. And without it, I don't even know how you move forward if you don't have it all the time, like you've accustomed yourself to. Um, and so I know that, that people who experience or are wronged in their life and they want validation all the time, even from strangers. And it's like, how are you going to, how are you going to feel better or be better if you don't have that validation one day? And I well, see and that. That's, I think that's, that's the voice of a victim. That's someone who feels like a victim and who mm-hmm. has an attachment to suffering. And that was me for a long time too. Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought like my life, I'm just destined to suffer because it was just one hit after another, after another, after another, you know, and, and that's, that is life. Yeah, It sucks. Life sucks. It truly does suck. Yeah. It can. I mean, if that was my perception, right? Like life just sucks. This sucks. But we have a choice to sweep our own doorstep or not. And it's not up to, it's not anyone else's responsibility to make us whole, to make us happy, to fulfill some, some, whatever it is that we're trying to fulfill in our lives. That is our responsibility. There isn't enough personal responsibility in this world. And I think that's. I agree. And that's, again, like I said before, that's impossible. Like, at me helping someone who's grieving, I cannot fix your problems. I can be there. I can try to support you. But again, at the end of the day, you kind of have to do that for yourself. And again, it's also, it's not right for you to put the burden on someone else because they should not exhaust their emotional needs to help you. So you need to be fair to the other person as well, that you are not mentally exhausting them by putting the burden on them fixing your problems when, again, you need to do that. And this is why I'm so glad the conversation went here. And this is why it's so important to seek support from somebody who has no skin in your game. Someone like me, I've, you know, I don't know you from Adam. I have no skin in your game of life. You know, there's nothing you can say to me that's going to make me turn on you or, you know what I mean? Like we don't have this intimate relationship. Yeah. And I can go to bed at night and what, what is yours is yours and what's mine is mine. And, you know, it's taken me a long, it's taken me a long time to be able to do this work and to get to this point, but it's because I worked on myself, but we all have that capability. That's what I'm trying to like, just scream to the rooftops. We all are capable of, of working through this, the most devastating parts of our aspects of our lives. It's possible. Yeah. And so what is one tip that you would give a hurting heart today? Okay, let's see. I guess I would say take it one day at a time. And that maybe one day you're having a really hard time and you think it's always going to be like that, but take it every day because you never know what the next day is going to be. Maybe you will feel better. Maybe you... And I hope you have, I will say, the courage. Because I think it is very easy to stay in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And I understand. And then people ask, well, why do you want to stay suffering? There is an attraction to suffering. There is. I know that, that that doesn't sound right, but there is. I've seen it in many places in society that we want to hold on to the negative as much as we can. And so it is very easy to stay in that darkness. And it is somewhat alluring 
And I do think that there is actually like, sometimes it's like a good feeling to be sad. It's interesting. It's not that it's happy, but sometimes when you feel sad or you're crying, it can feel kind of good. It's interesting. I know that doesn't sound right, but well, crying it, can be a release, right? I mean, absolutely. These, they're all valid emotions. It's not like it's bad to be sad, you know, and that's not what I'm saying here at all. And I don't no, think no. you are. No, either. definitely. No, uh, it's information. No, it's, yeah. And it's good to have the balance. I don't think there's anything wrong with being sad or being negative or having that depression as long as you hopefully have a balance of having a, that positive energy in your life too. Don't, don't avoid yourself of all the negative either, because I think again, a balance of yin and yang, you need, you do need both to you know, to be the best you can. Um, so that's, that's so like what I was saying was, you know, it's easy to stay in that darkness, but I hope you find the courage to, you know, get yourself out of it and not completely because that's, it's a slow process. And if it's reaching out to someone or doing an activity that you used to like, or even visiting a burial site, it means for some that could be very, very positive for some people, or maybe it's just taking the day off or going to the beach Anything you think is going to calm your mind, and, and again, take it one day at a time. You're not gonna, you're not gonna come out of the darkness or feel the best, most positive person you were before in just a day. You know, it, it can take a long time, and maybe you won't be there one day like you were before, and that's okay. That really is. So, what is one memory of your mom that, when you think of it, or or maybe there was something that you did together when you think of it, or when you find yourself doing it, that you feel good and you think of her. I think about my mom was a huge cook and she didn't bake that much. Um, But when she did, we always loved it. But I remember I was like, you know, I really want to bake something. I love watching baking shows. There's something so comforting about them. (laughs) And I just want to start doing it. Like I want to start doing that. And so we made these really nice chocolate chip cookies and we tried like three different types of chocolate in it. And that was very fun. And it was, the first time I got to bake something, um, cause again, my mom kind of always did it. So I never really got to help. And if we tried helping, we just kind of got in her way. So we kind of just not, didn't really get to help as much. And so what changed is interesting is I love that so much. And that was like, honestly, the month before she passed actually, cause it was in Christmas, it was Christmas time and she passed in January. But now what's interesting is even going back to the weight loss, when I started the plan, I needed to cook my own food in February which was like daunting. I was like, okay, cooking my own food. I'm a little scared. I would just rely on frozen foods that I would just heat up. So when I cooked my own food, it was a slow process. Um, but since February to now, I cook all the time now. Like I want to do it all the time. Like I was like, should I even like change my career and what I'm doing and start cooking? Probably not. <laughs> but there was a potluck at my job yesterday and I made lobster mac and cheese and Ooh. it was it was okay. I'm gonna be honest. No bragging here. It was very good. It was not my <laughs> recipe. I found it online, but I I changed a lot of things that I wanted in the recipe. But I was very happy with it, and it was like I don't get to cook often for other people, especially at my job. That was the first time. But now that I get to cook and I get to bake stuff, and I made chocolate chip cookies at home recently when I was back in California, and I made a post, and I was like, no, I don't. I didn't really think about it. It wasn't really conscious, but why am I feeling sad doing this? I don't really know. I wasn't like really sad. I was just, it, it was like a sadness, but it was also comforting. It was very weird. Um, where I was like, it is sad to do this, but I also love doing it. And I had Harry Potter music playing in the background and my mom and I loved watching and listening to the music from those films. And, you know, when I made them, I was really happy how they turned out. And I was 
I just kind of reflected on that and it was just a, it was a sad thing, but it, it makes me want to do it so much more now mm-hmm. because, you know, I get to kind of cook with my mom now and I don't have any regrets, but I, I do wish I got into cooking before. So I was like, my mom was always like every single time we watched a movie where a man cooked for his wife, she was always so happy. She's like, I want someone to come in and cook for me. My mom was just always the cook though. And so I so wish I knew how to cook because I would cook her so many things, anything she wanted. I'd be so excited to make because I love doing that. So not a, not a regret. I don't have any regrets, but that's one thing, you know, I kind of wish that I did before, but now I do it all the time and I want to do it all the time. And when I get to see my mom, it's, I'll get to like tell her about all the things that I've, I've made. Maybe not all of them. There'll be a lot at that point. Um, I just hope that, you know, when I get to taste it myself, she tastes through me. I hope so. So that she can taste herself. I hope so. I hope that's how it works. <laughs> so I just had a thought. So does she have a lot of her own recipes that you have? No, that's what's sad. You know, I it's, it's okay though, because I have an idea of the stuff she made and I can always find it myself. But that is one thing I tell people, chronicle your family, whatever it is, like maybe even like do an interview, like do a video interview and like have them talk about their life. And even if it's like a couple hours, it's like you have that chronicleness now of their life. And it's so much better than you imagine what it was or trying to remember what that story was. Now you can actually pass it down. And that's the same with cooking. It's like, please get their recipes, have them write it down. I know it's in their head and they don't write it down, but have, have them write it down so you can chronicle their wisdom. There are apps for that, actually. One, oh, I had a there? guest. Yeah, I had a guest on my podcast some time ago. Um, he developed an app called AfterCloud. Oh, wow. I believe is what I, I, I think there was a branding shift and I think it's still called AfterCloud, but I'll um, link to it in the show notes. But yeah, there there and there's actually other apps, too, out there that help you to document just what you just said to create a family heirloom of sorts. But, you know, I can imagine that, you know, somewhat of what she made and how you can make it. And yeah. and then you could share it with your neighbors, you know, or share it with, you know, the cookies, especially like share it with other people, maybe another griever, you know, you know, a taste of taste of mom's cookies, you know, to. Yeah, I. It's so interesting just being in a place where I didn't cook and now it's all I want to do. And that that is that is like the. That is probably the best way for me to express affection right now. Mm. I think it's always going to be now. I don't know why. Uh, it's not that I can't communicate because I can, <laughs> but it's more like I care about you, but like I'm going to put my soul and being into what I'm making for you. And then I really hope it comes out that way. Um, and that is like the best way. I, it's like a, a love language. And I hear people say that, that, you know, cooking is our love language. And I say that now. And then people are like, I don't get what that means. I'm like, what do you mean you don't get what that means? Like cooking is so heartful. Like there's so much involved when it comes to cooking and no, like the people I love, I get to make something for them to make them happy in that way. It's just, it's so rewarding. And I wish I could share that with my mom. Like now I get why she loved cooking too. (laughs) Mm. And maybe that's part why you're drawn to it is that, you know, you, you recognize now that connection that, you know, Mm -hmm. to food, it's a relationship, right? And so maybe a part of this, you wanting to cook and things is, is, is what is going to help you shift your relationship with food. Right. And so that it's no yeah. longer this drive, like controlling force in your life, that it it's, you are changing the narrative around food. It is now a source of love and nourishment 
and vitality, right? Not only for yourself, but whomever you decide to share it with and break bread with. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. Thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to share? And I and I want to say this too, because one of the things I'm actually going to ask this because it's on my forum and you filled it out and I love your answer. Maybe you don't remember what the answer was that you put, but um, I, I ask what would, what would you like to scream to the world in the past or recently and wish people knew about your grief? What you had said then when you filled out the form was my grief doesn't make me broken. It has made me stronger. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. As I'm trying to remember, because like I said, before we started, I don't remember when I, you know, sent that in, but that is, is true though. Yeah. I, I don't agree. want people to look at me differently. And I don't think people do, but I do think that there's another layer that people understand me now. Like there's a depth that they understand of something that I've gone through. Who knows? Maybe people do see me as broken, um, but I don't. Again, I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not concerned with how people perceive me. How I perceive myself is I'm not broken. It's it's a thing that, again, everyone experiences and I experienced it. And I know I do believe in the mindset that everything happens for a reason. I don't know what the reason is. I don't need to know. I just know that there's a reason my mom passed. There's a reason, there's a reason I discovered cooking. There's a reason I had such a great relationship with her, whatever it is. That's that's how I feel. That you know, it was her time. There's no reason why. Because I know some people will grapple with that. They're like, why did that person pass? There's no need to ask why. There's no answer. If that makes you feel better, then that's, you know, okay. But I think that that just, that would make me feel so much worse because there is no why. There's never a why. There's no why because there there shouldn't, there's no reason why they should be gone at all. They should still be here. That's what I would say. I don't, no, I don't see myself as broken. I just see it as something that I've gone through and it's something that makes me stronger. And that's exactly how my mother was too. I could, I don't, I didn't see my mom as a broken person, even though she went through so much, so much loss, so much, so much, like just a lot of stuff, so much. And I never saw myself, I never saw my mom as broken. I don't know how she she saw herself, but because she was such a light for everyone else, no, we didn't see her that way. Um, She was the kind of person that of course can, that lit up a room and I know a lot of people do say that. I feel like at this point, it's a little cliche when I hear that, but there's no other way I can describe it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's what I would say. And also grief doesn't define me. I, I'm not a, I'm not a person who grieves. It's not my identity. It's just something that happened to me. It's something I'm always going to carry, but I don't want to see myself as a griever. I want to see myself as a strong person that still has this powerful relationship with my mom and grief is just something I've had to go through. And you're thriving. I believe you're thriving. Do you believe so too? I think I am. No, I know I am. Cause I've, I've had many opportunities even just coming to DC and living here for a year and just the relationships I've made um, and the people I've come across and just the opportunities I've had just in the past couple of years alone. I've had a lot of great opportunities before my mom passed, but I think <laughs> I think it's just kind of sad that I had a lot of opportunities, so many that my mom, well, 
spiritually, yes. Like she got to see them and experience them. But the one thing that I think is the hardest is I don't get to hear her voice. I don't get to hear her excitement anymore. And there were so many things that she was into that she, I can't really imagine how she would react to some of them. Like when I got the opportunity to go to the White House, my mom was always wanting to go there. And I know she would be on the same flight with me. Um, or before I actually interned at NASA. My mom loved NASA. She loved anything to do with space or the universe. Just so many different opportunities. And me just working at, well, I didn't even ever even mention, but I do work for National Geographic. My mom just, it's not like we had the magazine lying around, but just working for National Geographic, I know my mom would be very excited about that. So it's just kind of, or speaking on television and just seeing me on the TV screen. It's just so many, so many opportunities that I wish she kind of, I got to physically see her react. But other than that, I I am very blessed. I'm just going to take a moment to celebrate you for a moment because, you know, we talked about not owning our accomplishments and things like that. And especially with grief, we can have that loss that really just takes us down. But instead, it's cracked you open and look at everything that has opened up for you because you didn't allow it to take you down. And no, I, think I just... That's an inspiration for people and for my listeners. So I just wanted to highlight that and make a point to say that. Yeah, thank you. And, and one of the things that that I think about is, you know, where, where would they want you to be? I don't know many people that would want you to be depressed about them. I mean, yes, have that have that level of sadness. But so, like you say, what was it lie and decay when you lie? Yeah, and lay decay. lay and it's decay. Like, yeah. When you lay, you decay. It's like. I don't think, I don't know anyone that would want you to feel that way. Um, and so like, I have, I consciously had to think about what my mom would want for me. And it's like, would my mom want me to sulk in that? Or would my mom want me to take the opposition and go for an opportunity? No matter what the outcome could be, you never know what's going to happen. And sometimes it could be good. Sometimes it won't be. Um, but I think my mom always pushed me to, you know, accept any challenge that came my way. And I think even moving forward, I think that's the driving question you can ask yourself. What would my mom do? What would mom do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because she was such a light for you. And I'm glad you had that experience with um, relationship with her and that it is continuing. You know, that relationship is continuing because I think, too, what can happen. We didn't really get into this, but a lot of what can happen when people lose somebody is that, you know, you can get very angry at God. You can get very angry at the world. and just completely shut down. And that was me too, for a long time. Like I was very angry. I didn't step into a church. I, I was, I was spiritually thirsty. Um, that was an aspect of my life that really went downhill. And mm-hmm. so I just encourage people to be open, be yeah. open to the possibility. And, you know, like you said, we're not going to have all the answers. We're not, we're just, we're never going to have all the answers, but do we have to, right? Would it make a difference? Would it change anything? You know? Yeah, I think people. The result is still the same, right? You're still without yeah. this person. Yeah. yeah, I think that people, they want the answer because I think when you have that answer, it's like you feel like your path is set. But I really don't think that there is an answer. How could there be? Because I know some people say, well, maybe God wanted them closer. No. I don't think that at all. I don't, that's incredibly selfish. 
I don't think God would want that. And if that's the case, why would you want them near you? If there's such a light, why wouldn't you want them in the world preaching love that you want the world to be as God, right? And so I don't believe in that. And so I I never want people to question the why because there is no answer, really. And like you said, if you do get an answer, it doesn't really change anything. So what gives you the most hope and joy for the future? I guess what gives me the most hope and joy for the future is knowing that my mom is still out there in some sort of spiritual way, whatever it is. Um, she's still there and I still have this relationship with her and I get to build on it and I get to do things that remind me of her. And that gives me hope. Like I said, it's not a guaranteed answer, but if I knew that there was a guaranteed afterlife, I would feel, I would feel at peace in a way. Wouldn't change it. It wouldn't change a lot because she was still gone. But just the comfort of knowing that she's in a safe place and I will see her one day, that's just, that's enough. But I will never know that for sure. But what gives me hope is that that, that, that might be, that might be out there. Um, and if it's not, well, I hope not. But if it is, I still have the beautiful memories and I can create more positive memories with other people, with my mom in my mind channeling her love and her energy and her light through your good work right i want people to remember me that way because you know like my mom isn't here anymore but i want people to feel that way when they interact with me that you know there is a <laughs> there is like a speck in me that reminds them of my mom or if they haven't met her it's like well, that's what my mom would be like you kind of have met her maybe <laughs> um i remember even telling a story and my my partner was like it's it's almost it's almost exact how you tell stories like her. And I was like, really? Even like my family friends, they're like, yeah, it's very interesting how you're almost just like your mom at times. I'm like, wow. Well, I love hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> That's wonderful. Anything else that you would like to share that you didn't feel like you got to share that you want listeners to know? I really don't think so. I really feel like we got into a lot of different topics about grief, but also mental health and even suicide and the work I get to do. No, nope. I'm not at all. Just thank you so much again for having me on. And where can people find you? Oh, I mean, I'm on like Instagram and LinkedIn um, and the digital magazine you mentioned is positive vibes magazine. You can find me by just typing in my name. My social media handles are all my name. Just show people <laughs> if you type in my name, you know exactly where you're going to find me just so I'm just so I'm accessible to people as much as possible. And that's how they access the magazine as well as through your social channels. Yeah, you can find it there too. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I will put all those links in the show notes. And um, I thank you so much for joining me today. It, this really truly did feel like a conversation, like, a, a, you know, a really, what's the word? Like a dialogue. Yeah, but more yeah. like, yeah, but of, of really deep issues that are impacting mm -hmm. all of us, like everybody, right? Like we're not, there isn't a soul that isn't touched by grief and there isn't a soul that isn't probably touched by mental health, whether it's themselves or someone they know or love or care about, right? Like it's, it's an, both of these things are an every one issue. And I think, I think we're getting better. And I, that's what gives me hope is as a society, I think we're getting better. We have a lot of work to do, 
<laughs> but I think with people like me and like you who are using our voices for positive and to share what we've learned and what we know and helping, you know, where we can help and be of service. I mean, that's the best we can do. Right. Yeah. This was so great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being my guest today and for sharing your time with me and my listeners. And remember when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.